We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. This morning I informed Doug Whaley that he was relieved of his duties with the Buffalo Bills. I have enjoyed working with Doug. He's a very good person. I want to wish him the best in the future. This was not an easy decision. We also relieved the pro and amateur scouting departments of their duties, and I want to thank each and every one of them for their hard work and dedication. I want to make it clear that this decision was made by Kim and I. We look forward to hiring our first GM as owners of the Buffalo Bills. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Krueger. And with us tonight, we have the guys from Hashtag Sports. I've got Paul and I've got Mario. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I mean, I'm, I got a half a beer in me, and I weigh 140 <laughs> pounds, so uh, this, this should be an adventure. <laughs> You weigh a buck forty, dripping wet, holding a brick. So, yeah, you're, you're feeling it. So, guys, for those of you who aren't familiar with Hashtag Sports, these are two guys who run a sports blog, HashtagSports.net, and they talk about everything across the football spectrum, but they're two guys from Buffalo, and obviously their hearts are with the Buffalo Bills. So, first and foremost, Mario, I, I got to ask, your background in football. Now, you were a former collegiate quarterback, correct? That's, that is right, sir. Okay. So now, how did you get into blogging? What was it that got you onto this? Well, it was about uh, five years ago, uh, Paul and I were a part of a show, uh, The Thomas Loop. And, uh, we, you know, Paul was the musical guest there, and I was the, supposed to be the sports guy, and we got to talking quite a bit. It was pretty interesting how Paul would always examine the business aspect of it, and I was always examining the X and, X's and O's, and he really. Uh, he really showed me a lot of the business aspect of it, and, and conversely, I was able to show him and talk to him about sports psychology and the X's and O's of the game. And so then you two just decided to break off and kind of go do your own thing. 
Well, yeah, because we felt that in in Buffalo, especially Western New York and the media that was going on, there wasn't a lot of information. You know, there's a lot of missing information that was going on that was being fed to the fans and the people. So we were like, listen, we got a little bit of a different slant that we want to do, and we want to let people know what's really going on behind the doors. And now, Paul, you got into bed with Mario. What's your experience been like throughout this? I, I mean, you, you, I have down here Mario, college quarterback, and Paul Mo lookalike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, well, first off, let, let's just be real clear. Getting in bed is just a general term. If we're talking about really getting in bed, I'm going to say unsatisfying. Unsa- but if we're talking about the work that we do together on hashtag sports, totally, totally different realm there. Uh, you know, it, this is. Uh, it, Writing and blogging and talking about the Bills uh, makes it a better experience for me, right? So I love watching football, but I love paying attention to the rest of the league. So it's not just the Bills playing on on Sunday, right? It's the whole league playing on Sunday. Everything that happens on the waiver wire, everything that happens uh, throughout the league all has a ripple effect. And paying attention to the dollars, the senses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the dollars, the cents, and, and the way that this all rolls down uh, from a business side is fun mm-hmm. because you can have football conversations with people all day long. Yep. But this is a business at the end of the day, and, and there's a really fun, uh, you know, uh, ebb and flow between the the football stuff and the financial stuff. Uh, so it's it's always a blast. Well, that's like one of the things I've been meaning to eventually get into the ring with you about, since you're one of the financial guys. Mm-hmm. How about the fact that right the right tackle market this off season exploded? Mm-hmm. Offensive linemen were getting paid at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because this draft was so weak with talent that. Teams that thought they could get over the hump had no choice but to pay them. Yeah, without a doubt. And to and to back that up, you know, the NFL teams felt the same way. There, this was the first time in NFL history that an offensive lineman fell lower than any any other time since yep. they've been tracking the draft. The offensive lineman first one off the board went twentieth overall, mm-hmm. and that's the lowest in NFL history. So, so that so, speaks a lot to the college game. But like what you were saying, the ripple effect. It's interesting mm-hmm. to see how one hand, you know, the college game affects the pro game and how that affects free agency because it's all interconnected. Yeah. So now that I've got you both here, there's a couple questions I ask of every everybody we have on this show because it kind of helps our fans get to feel who you guys are as a person. I need both of your favorite and least favorite Buffalo Bills fandom moments. Mario, I'll start with you. Oh God, you may have to you may have to kick it over to Ski first for this one because I, I have to think about that for a second. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to start with my, okay, go I'm going to start with my least favorite moment, and it was I took my kid to a preseason Bills game. Okay, and I know that doesn't sound like it's the worst possible time. It's preseason. Who you know who cares? But uh, I, I remember sitting there. We were up in the nosebleeds, and I've got my kid and his entire football team. We took the whole team, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching Jeff Tool, Dennis Dixon, and EJ Manuel sissy slap each other for a roster spot. And I remember watching Dennis Dixon fumble for the second time in that quarter, and EJ Manuel played quarter one, quarter two quarter three that's how bad they were and i thought to myself this is this is awful and the problem with it wasn't the fact that i had to see it it's the fact that it was the second year in a row that i had to see it because we had eg Manuel, jeff tool and dennis dixon sissy slapping each other the preseason before that which i also happened to take my kid to that game oh. so it was one of those moments where like oh my god it just didn't it didn't get any better <laughs> it, it was the same the, thing all over again it just sucks the life right out it of did. you watching yeah that, that. that was my least favorite moment as a bills fan <laughs> turning to my kid and saying I, I don't know. I don't know, kid. I don't know. These quarterbacks are bad. I don't know. You should take your kid to a regular season game and tailgate with Drew. <laughs> <laughs> That's an education right there. You'll learn a lot. He'll learn a lot real quickly. Mario, what about you? 
well, if we're in the uh, realm of full disclosure, uh, I unfortunately didn't become a Bills fan until later around the 2002 season. So I never was able to enjoy all of the successes that the Bills wow. had in the 90s when I was growing up. So when I became a fan, it just it was just at the start of the streak. So every year after that has been getting worse and relatively worse and relatively worse because we have not made the playoffs. Bills have not made the playoffs. They haven't been trending in the right direction. But it seems like uh, it seems like every year around this time they're starting to turn the corner and then they just smack us right in the face right around week eight. Oh, absolutely! So, uh, they just pull it out and just put one on us. So, oh yeah. When it comes to game day routines, Sundays. I mean, you guys aren't broadcasters. You know, we talk to some guys who literally Sunday is their Monday. You know, that's when their workday starts. You guys, you guys get to sit back and take it all in. Paul, I'm sure you get to watch a lot of different football games around the league. Mario, on game day, what is your routine? And each of you, what is your favorite beer? Uh, I'm going to let Mario start this one. Um, you know, we both have kids, so uh, beers should be flowing on game day, just uh, usually on the floor. So uh, <laughs> I'll let Mario take this one. Yeah, my game day routine, because the Bills have been uh, in, in such a state, you know, they, they usually play at 1 o'clock every day. So, you know, I'm getting up in the morning with the kids. I'm making them breakfast. I'm getting all that stuff done. Any beer that's in my fridge is probably a favorite beer of mine. Usually I turn to the uh, – even though Paul's going to hammer me this, on this one um, – I usually turn to Bud Light, but during the season, I hit the good old Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'm watching the 1 o'clock game, watching the 1 o'clock game, and then uh, checking my fantasy scores and whatnot. And then I'll usually take a nap right around the first quarter of the 4 o'clock games with, uh, with the, one of my kids. And then I'll wake up to realize that my fantasy team is getting destroyed, <laughs> which is a good time. Right around the time, around 8 o'clock, i got to put them to bed and watch the night game. So then I'll, uh, I'll start um, – Review and film the next day on everybody. So yeah, Andrew, you're a season ticket holder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yep. I can't do the season ticket holder thing because I ha- I just have to be dialed into the league that day, right? Mm-hmm. So Sunday is like blocked out for me. The kids they're running around. My wife knows I'm uh, TV's on. That's it. TV's on. It's football. That's all that's happening. Uh, so I can't do the season ticket holder thing. Believe me, I would love to, mm-hmm. but the days that I go to games, I've I'm lost the rest of the day. Like my whole day shot, my routine shot. <laughs> well, I'll be um, honest, it's I've lost I've lost entire days, entire nights. I remember I, I, I wasn't kidding when I said that after the Steelers game last year, I was standing in the bar in my basement. My girlfriend offered to wash my clothes that I was wearing because they smelled like campfire. And she came back out of the laundry room because I think she expected I was gonna go upstairs and put on other clothes. I was naked in flip flops for four and a half hours. Basically until the Sunday night football game was over. And my I think longer than that. And my response to her was that the bills make me too angry for pants. So I, it's just I understand not happening. That. No, no, no. I completely understand that concern. The season yeah, ticket absolutely. holder aspect of this, I think it gives me a sense of just anger and rage. It's like it gets an extra emotion out of me knowing that I was there. I got to see it happen with my own two eyes. And so when they do something that just blows your mind you feel that. And then what I do is I come here, I go home, I, I suck down a couple beers, and I get here in Chris's kitchen, and I just talk about it. Mm-hmm. It comes straight from, And that's – it comes through in our podcast, and I guess that's why people like listening to it. It's your release. That yeah. way your friends don't have to hear it when you hang out with them. Oh, absolutely. I usually I, – <laughs> before I had this show, I would waterboard my friends with Bill's information. Yeah. Now I do it to our listeners. So, guys, I met the guys from Hashtag Sports doing, being involved with this Rock Sports Network draft show. If any of you want to check it out, we did both nights. 
there was two groups. Um, these two guys, along with um, from Rochester, New York. Uh, well, what is it? Spencer. The, yeah, Spencer. One, one, 105.5 The Team. So yeah. from 105.5 The Team, Spencer German, he was also doing it on night one with these guys mm-hmm. when all that stuff was going on. And then we did it night two to talk about the first round pick and kind of talk about the Bills trades up and all the picks that were going on as they happened. You can go check it out at www.rocksportsnetwork.com. And the hosts of the show, Ryan Lacell and Icy Vic, and you can follow them on Twitter, at Ryan Lacell and at Icy Vic. Now, Chris, as we always kick off every show, let's hit it with the Bills News Update. If I had that loaded. Oh, you dick. So you <laughs> fucked me. Chris, I, I just got to ask, is it is it tough being his unpaid therapist post-game? Is that is that a rough life? Oh, it's absolutely Chris's job to talk me off. Like, basically, he sits here and watches me talk myself off a ledge. Okay. That's fair. And then That's some fair. weeks it actually takes him, like he has to give me a little bit of a push. That <laughs> <laughs> was the Paul as well. Shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. First up on the docket, the Buffalo Bills are hosting tight end Gary Barnage on a free agent visit. What? So after, after not selecting a tight end in the draft and kind of ignoring this position throughout the early portion of free agency, they've decided to bring in Gary Barnage. Now, he's been an effect, when he's healthy, he's been an effective player in the NFL. But he came out of nowhere for one season, had a mind-blowing year, and then afterwards, you didn't really see that kind of flash or pop from him again. I mean, what do you guys think about this move? Uh, I think RG3 was thrown in the football for a couple games, and then whoever they were able to find in Cleveland was thrown in the football. <laughs> all of I, the McCowns. Yeah, all, all of, of the, the whole McCowns. family. The whole family, the including whole family. the little sister. Yeah, you know, it's Gary Barnage is an interesting case, right? Because you saw in, in Cleveland when Chudzinski was the head coach, uh, you know, you saw the tight end was a really important facet of the game. And then you saw the hangover season, right? And that's where Barnage was excelling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that hangover season, the season after Chudzinski left. Um, so it, it's just one of those circumstances where I don't think Barnage is really where you want to go. I think he's going to be that veteran presence, I, I suppose. But uh, I, this is not a move that I'm like, all right, we've got Gary Barnage. Yes. <laughs> Stolen from Cleveland. Who says that? Nobody gets to say that. It's stole from the Browns. We did that with, with, we did it with Poyer. We didn't steal him from the Browns. Like, I, <laughs> they chose not to keep him. Exactly. Right. And this is, this is the same thing. They chose to let him go. So uh, uh, this is not a, not a move where I'm, where I'm getting real thrilled, you know. I mean, Mario, I mean, we haven't signed him yet, but Mario, what do you think about him as a guy who used to play quarterback, a tight end like Gary Barnage, older guy, kind of at the end of his road as far as the NFL is concerned, and yet we're considering him, I mean, if we're bringing him in, we're not just bringing him in to be a run blocker, right? You were cut by the Browns. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) (laughs) So for for everyone out there who thinks that this Gary Barnage thing is a big deal, I, I, I feel the same way. I'm completely nonplussed by it. The last thing we need is another pass, another old pass-catching tight end for an offense. It's the, same, it's the same argument I had against drafting a wide receiver in the first round. A guy like Mike Williams, a guy like O.J. Howard, a guy like uh, Cor- Corey, Corey Davis. Corey Davis. When Don't you, you talk bad about Corey Davis. When you look at these guys, <laughs> yes, they're phenomenal talents. But you bring in another pass-catching tight end, okay, that's a guy who's going to see three balls a game. 
Is it worth what you're going to be paying him? Probably not. I just want to point out real quick that we're talking about Gary Barnage like he's some trash heap tight end, right? So in the last, for his career, right, if we just look at his career numbers, which really are composed of basically two seasons in Cleveland, he's got 178 career receptions, right? So if we just look at the last two seasons, that's uh, for 140 receptions. Basically, right? Wow. In the last two seasons. Sammy Watkins in his career has 153. But so, you're also talking about a team that didn't have any wide receivers. They had Andrew Hawkins. Josh Gordon. How is was that smoked, any different? Josh Gordon's was out of football smoking blunts in his Lamborghini. And Gary Barnage was the only receiver on that team. Yeah. 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 I mean, who else you are you going to feed? You got to realize, too, the fact that Barnage, I mean, Cleveland was always down 14 points by the time the coin toss hit. So they were always throwing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think we're all on the same page here that I'm nonplussed by this move, and if they actually sign him, I'll kind of almost be disappointed because I don't think that he really has a role here on this team long term. Next up on the docket is kind of a controversial topic, and I know it's going to start a great conversation here. The Bills have declined to pick up Sammy Watkins' fifth-year option. Can I start this off by saying I understand why fans want to believe that this is a mistake. I do. One, the, the term is that, that I'm going to use, and you're going to hear it throughout this podcast, is mutually exclusive. The first, you know, People like to look at the Sammy Watkins acquisition, and they say, well, we have to keep him because we traded up in the first round and gave away a first-round pick to get him. When it comes to drafting athletes in the NFL draft, the pick that they are taken with and the capital that it took, the equity that it took to obtain them, they are mutually exclusive from the player themselves and their career. So what I'm saying to you is that when you look at something and you say, here's a wide receiver who unfortunately has never played a complete season for my football team. Yes, we took you in the first round. When you are here and you're healthy, you look like a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. Top 15, no one could argue that. But you have to be able to show me that you can do that. And if you can't, I can't put my franchise in jeopardy by throwing good money after bad money. That's how companies go bankrupt. They make a bad business decision, and then they keep chasing that bad business decision, hoping it'll turn around. I think that this is the smartest move that the franchise could have made, and I think it's a step in the right direction. I mean, it's, it's a franchise that's been known for making stupid decisions and mistakes over the last decade and a half that we haven't been a playoff team. You're seeing them make, some, make a decision that, yes, it's shrewd. Yes, it might be cold towards the player, but it makes sense. What do you guys think? Well, I know Mario just posted an article on hashtagsports.net about this, so I'll, I'll let Mario start this conversation. Yeah, I, I do have an opposing view from you, so I, I look very oh, forward to discussing this. Here we this. go. All right. I'm going to let yeah, Mario start the conversation. You know, Drew, when you say that it makes sense, I, I wonder how you're spelling that word sense, because Closer definitely is going to hammer you on the financials when it, when it comes to this topic. As far as I'm concerned, I took a little bit different uh angle on it when I posted an article on hashtag sports and the fact that, you know, I think of it as, you know, more sports psychology and the fact that I think McDermott is sending a message, you know, throughout the organization and throughout the team that, you know, guys are going to be looking at each other in the locker room saying, wait, if Watkins isn't safe, then none of us are. We all of us are going to have to earn our spots. Now, when you tilt that back over to the financial portion of it, I took an angle and I, and I think the bills even though they're in so much cap trouble right now, uh, giving them a non-exclusive tag 
uh, you know, allows him to go and uh, you know negotiate with other teams for contracts and bring one back to the table. And if if um, if the Bills happen to decline that and not match it, they get two first round picks from that team. And wouldn't that be poetic justice to get two first round picks? for Sammy Watkins <laughs> after all of that happened. I mean, as, as far as on the field, no question about the guy's ability. But, the, you know, like 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 I think Drew might say, if ifs were fifths, he'd be hammered right now. There's too many ifs that go along with uh, oh, Sammy Watkins. If only ifs were fifths. Oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look at Sammy Watkins, right? He's got 153 career receptions. Yards after catch, 3.6. You realize that Sammy Watkins has never in his career ranked higher than 426th in the NFL for yards after catch. 426th in the NFL yards after catch. That is insane, right? It, so, I, I, unfortunately, my dad sent me a text. We were talking about Sammy Watkins. And he called him Sammy, Sammy Flopkins. And I was like, well, that's actually kind of hard to argue with, right? He, he's, he's a tuck-and-roll grammar receiver, right? He's going to receive the ball, and then he's going to fall. So you have to question, are you going to give a guy a tag amount? Or are you going to offer a guy a fifth year who literally cannot do two things at once, proven over the last three seasons? He is incapable of catching ball, running with ball. Right, two facets to the game: catch ball, run with ball. Catches ball fine, runs with ball not so well. So, is that somebody that you're going to offer that fifth year option to? Now, now, mind you, the financials, right? You look at this: the Bills have 41 million dollars in cap room next season, right? Estimated, looking at everybody, considering everything equal, right? Unfortunately, that's only 42 players, so they're 10 players short of the salary cap, right? That's 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 41 million dollars in space with only 42 players. So now you need to invest. Uh, they got two first-round picks. So that's nine million dollars into the draft pool next year. So you got to take that right out, right? Um, now you're down uh, from forty-one million. You, if you're going to franchise tag Sammy Watkins, that's going to be about seventeen million, right? So what does that leave you with? That leaves you with fifteen million dollars to fill ten spots. That's it. Fifteen mil to fill ten spots in your roster. If you transition tagged him, you could have dropped him at any time. That trans- that tag right now, that, that fifth-year option, they could have picked it up and dropped it at any time. They had no risk in picking it up, except it's guaranteed against injury if he misses significant time next season. I think that was the issue. You can't trust Sammy Watkins to be healthy. And if this were, if this were a hamstring issue or a groin issue, those aren't things they linger, but we're not looking at missing a full season. We're talking about a foot. Right, and I don't think the Bills are willing to risk long term in Sammy Watkins' foot. Right? Do you think this is a move that the Patriots would make? Uh, I don't think the Patriots care about any player on their on their roster not named Tom Brady. Is this a move that the Packers would make? Yes. You think you think they do the same thing? Yeah. What it is is that we have to start emulating the successful franchises in football. And I think that, yes, we do draft, you know, we do here in Buffalo. We're a small community. We fall in love with our players. We do. And that's not to take anything away. I don't dislike Sammy Watkins. I, I just. Drew, what I'm, Drew, 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 my friend. Mm. You're talking about two guys in the Packers and the Patriots. They're going to have quarterbacks probably on the Mount Rushmore when it's all said and done. That's true. We and, got Tyrod. But that's my point. So this feeds into my yeah. point. So when I'm sitting here and I'm driving home from work and I'm in my truck and I hear people calling into WGR, like 
like the world is ending because we didn't pick up Sammy Watkins' fifth-year option. And I hear someone's, well, he's going to be pissed and he's going to be mad at the team and we're never going to be able to keep him. I've got two points. After I get done biting my steering wheel out of rage, I've got two points that I want to make to this person. Number one, the franchise tag exists. You can't pretend like it doesn't. Yes, players don't like it. You know why players don't like it? Because nobody, no athlete especially, I hate being told what to do. If I'm a multi-million dollar athlete, I sure as hell don't like being told what I have to and what I you know, I don't like having my options dictated to me. And that's just me. I, you know, who am I? So take an athlete who has millions of dollars on the line. They don't like having their options dictated to them either. Of course players hate the franchise tag. But look at how many players sign long-term deals after the franchise tag or that, like he was saying, the uh, what is it, non-exclusive tag yeah. gets, gets put on them. The most talented player in football, Von Miller, he, he folded and signed the tag. He talked about maybe holding out. You know, there was you know there, there's a lot of you know a lot of rhetoric thrown around. And at the end of the day, he signed a deal, right? But th- but that's not the common. That's not common. Like I know we talk about players being franchise tag, and then they can it buys you time to sign an extension. If we talk about the number of players that are franchise tag versus the number that sign extensions, we're talking about thirty percent. Like we're not talking a high number. It's a very very thin number. But a lot of franchise tags tag players. Okay. Kirk Cousins is really the only mate. Like you're talking about guys who get franchise tagged and they decide to play that one season under the tag. Then no, you're probably not getting an extent. Like if you just flat out say, "Hey, I'm not resigning with you." If he has any interest at all in resigning with the Buffalo Bills, then this shouldn't impact that decision. If he decides he wants to be a part of this team, this shouldn't change that decision because either way, he has to have a good year this year. Right, but you have to look at the financial end of this, oh. right? And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cruise back to that just to make a point very quickly because I know Mario wants to jump in on Mario. This, right? He's gonna he's gonna he, beat me to death over yeah, this. I am, I am. So <laughs> if, if we take a look at the Bills franchise tagging Sammy Watkins, that leaves you fifteen million dollars, right? Uh, that's fifteen mil for ten spots remaining on the roster. There's no space, zero space, right? Um, now, if the Bills had just picked up his option, his number would have been thirteen million dollars. So we're talking about a four million dollar, well, three to four million dollar difference here, right? When you've only got fifteen million dollars in space, you're talking about giving up twenty percent of your remaining salary cap space because you didn't feel like picking up his option, which you could have declined at any time, just as long as he wasn't going to miss 2018 due to injury, it just doesn't make sense. If you're looking to sign it to an extension, you pick up his option because you can decline it. Otherwise, you're going to pay him $4 million to what? Prove a point? Like that just, it, it takes up 20, 20% extra of your salary cap space to do what? To do, who's to to do nothing. nothing. Hey, who's to say they haven't looked at the same statistics you have? He has no yards after the catch. We're playing in a West Coast scheme that relies on yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins' greatest plays have been made when someone throws the ball out in front of him. He goes up and gets it. He runs away from everybody. Or he makes a contested catch on the sideline. Or he comes back to the ball and boxes out his cornerback. Those have been the highlights of his career mm-hmm. thus far. So in, a, in an offense that's not geared to do that anymore, Who's to say how useful or effective he's actually going to be? That's a really good point. I think they're hedging their bets schematically and health-wise. They are hedging their bets on the fact that he is a leopard doesn't change its spots overnight. 
And what they're going to look at and say, okay, if he turns into a zebra tomorrow, then we'll pay him and we'll figure out where to come up with the rest of our salary cap from there. Yeah, you know, Mar, I know you're, I, I know you're getting a little tight on, tight on time here, but I'm just curious. Sammy Watkins in a West Coast system. Is it a fit? Is it worth the investment? Because that's actually a really good point. You're, Thank you. you that's, that's a very valid point. If, if you're the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills and you're looking at a, at, a, at, a, at a Rick Dennison offense, is Sammy Watkins the type of player that you really want on your team that you expect to anchor for 13 to $17 million? I don't think it's, it's – if you go back uh, through the history of, of what McDermott has done um, – and all the receivers that he's had on his teams, it's not consistent of the teams that he's been a part of that have been very successful. Now, Watkins, Paul's going to smash me on this one, but the potential of him. You know, he's a guy that could take a slant 90 yards, oh. but apparently he's been taking slants and diving at the, at the linebacker's feet recently. So the thing about it is this, and Paul always knows this, we talk about this a lot, he's in a contract year. You're looking at the wrong team right now. You're looking at the Bills. You should be looking at 31 other teams that he's auditioning for, yep. kind of like when Gilmore decided to say, I want to cover Antonio Brown one-on-one. He's auditioning for every other team. Now, what is what, what happens from that? You're probably going to get the best football that Sammy Watkins is going to play because he knows if his time is up in Buffalo, he's got to get the second contract is what these guys play for. So he's going to try to be on the field as much as possible, do as much as he can, and the Bills are going to reap the benefits from that for this season. I, I want to bring this up, right? So if Sammy Watkins plays 14 games, let's just, let's just imagine for a moment that that actually happens. He's going to want Des Bryant money. He's going to want a five-year, $70 million contract. But what, is it, well, but what are his statistics in that? It, well, I mean, does he fit this scheme? And does he produce? If he comes out like Odell Beckham Jr. did in his rookie season in this system, and he plays 14 games, you know what? Uh, I franchise tag him. Not only do I franchise, I give him Des Bryant money. And you know what I say? I say, okay, here is a guy that I can trust going forward to be the, be the backbone of my offense in the passing game. I can trust that guy. But it comes down to earning it, and that's the problem. He hasn't done it. I, you reward him by picking up his fifth-year option. I mean, and I get it. People aren't looking at it that way. People are going to say, oh, well, Blake Bortles got his fifth-year option picked up. Which can be declined at any time. Which can be, which declined, can be declined at, at any, any time. point in time. But I think, tomorrow, to your point, you're sending a strong message, not just to the rest of the roster, but also to that player. Look, I'm going to put you in a box and make you play. Give me the best season of football that you think you have in you. And if you show me that you're worth it, I have the tools at my disposal to make sure you don't leave my team. You'll be, you'll stick with your teammates. You'll stay here. We will make you one of the highest paid players in the league. But you've got one season to show me that you can do it. Not just me, but 32 other teams. True the show fact us that you, that can do you it. brought up Odell Beckham makes me want to climb over this table and put you in a million-dollar dream. <laughs> Odell, Beckham, Odell Beckham, whose Please option was it. picked up for $8.526 million, by the way, $5 million less than Sammy Watkins' option because he because was drafted 12th pick. overall. Because he was right. 12th. That's, that's, that's what happens, right? So the fact is you're talking about spending a ton of money on a wide receiver who ultimately may never earn that much. Right. Right now, our, they're, they're, it's a gamble. Don't get me wrong. None of this is guaranteed. I could look like an asshole in a few days when this whole thing ter- blows up in my face. And say, a few days. This time next year when Sammy Watkins is fresh off a 1,700-yard or 1,600-yard 10-touchdown season, 
You're right. I'll look like the biggest jerk off in the world. Prove me wrong. I would be a happy Bills fan to have that. Prove me wrong. Because from what I've seen, you haven't been that guy. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that. protecting itself. Well, well, I mean, the problem is that they also, by declining his option, put him as top dog for that 2018 free agent class. Yeah. Because Mike Mike Evans, he had his option picked up. He's off the books. Odell Beckham had his option picked up. He's off the books. Uh, Brandon Cooks, he had his option picked up. He's off the books. Calvin Benjamin, off the books. So then maybe to Mario's point, maybe the plan is to transit to non-exclusive tag him and just hang him out there as bait and see if anybody's interested. Make him have a baller year. They know that they not only can keep the player if they want him, but if they really want to dangle him as bait, they can do it. Mm -hmm. It's a shrewd move. If he, the if he produces like the Bills are going to probably predict by not picking up his option, he has a unbelievable banner year, he will get Tyrod's money. Well, Tyrod is on the books for 19 mil next year, yep. right? Uh, I think I think they eat six and a half or seven million dollars by by letting him go. Yeah. So this could be this could be you know we're, it's another one or the other situation. Yep. The Bills had to make that decision between Gilmore and Tyrod. I get, we could be looking at the same thing. It's either Watkins or it's Tyrod. Well, I know? just look. I don't care. I, I don't care about any of that because I think right. they, they're looking at this as hey, we got an. You know, we've, we're setting ourselves up for long-term success. They're trying to play the long game on this. Too long, are you know, people have been trying to play the short game here in Buffalo, and it doesn't work. So what they're trying to do is play the long game this time. And what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we're going to put this this great wide receiver when he's healthy, but he's never healthy. We're going to stick him. I shouldn't say never. He's not as often healthy as you would like to have him to be a premier wide receiver in this league. We're going to put him in a vacuum, and we are going to make him have one year to define what his future is going to be. And if we get the best and the healthiest Sammy Watkins we've ever seen, we have the ability to franchise tag him and basically make sure he doesn't go anywhere for a long time, which most of those players end up signing contract extensions. Or we have the ability to dangle him as bait and see if we can't recoup a couple picks. Or even even worse than that, we can just let him go entirely. Cut bait, not not worry about it, and worry about finding a quarterback solution. Because that's what all these other teams that make the playoffs every year do. They address the quarterback position, and then you have Jake Abraderis catching 144 yards worth of passes from uh, Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game off the practice squad. Why? Because they have the quarterback position figured out. And plus, it is, uh, after five yards, uh, it's NBA rules, no touching after five yards. So that's why I think that's why I think really like I didn't want a receiver until like the third round this year. Like I think you can just get a receiver anywhere as long as you have the quarterback, which we haven't had for twenty years. I want. Yeah, the, the, oh, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, I just want to make one more point because like, like you said, time short. I got I got to take off, guys. But here's the one point I wanted to make, and I've made this point on, on hashtag Sports Shows a lot. When uh, and I'm gonna go back past uh, closers time here. When the uh, when those Steelers team started winning all those Super Bowls in the 70s, uh, when they won their first after Chuck after Chuck Nola taken over, they had eight guys that were on the original roster when he took over to when they won their first Super Bowl. When Dick Vermeil took over the Rams in 1997, they had seven guys on that roster in 1999. So the fact of you know looking at a big picture here, the Bills and McDermott more specifically, they're going to have a lot of turnover 
when it comes to these guys and, and what they're going to do in the success of the Bills. Don't be surprised if this extends to 18 and 19 years, if in year 20, 21, and 22, they're making the playoffs consistently and competing because you got to realize in those years, you have an aging Ryan Tannehill, probably Brady won't be there, and the Jets will probably disband from the league at that point. <laughs> so there will only be three teams in your league, in your division that you've got to take care of. So the Bills are playing the long game here, as you said, Drew, is in the fact that, okay, we have to have complete turnover. I, and, and McDermott could say, I've seen the blueprint in front of me in Philly and how it's supposed to go. The first five years he was in Philly, he was close to Andy Reid, even when Andy Reid took over as GM there. So he has seen the blueprint put in front of him. He knows how it's supposed to do. I know it's a little bit different game than it was in the early 2000s, but you got to think, big picture here, a, a, a diva wide receiver when you could pick up so many guys in the third, fourth, and fifth round isn't really such a high priority anymore. No, absolutely not. Mario, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Tell everyone out there where they can find you and follow you on Twitter. Uh, they can follow, follow us at at Htag Sports, and if they want to go to the website, they can go to hashtag sports.net. We're also on uh, Facebook. If you go to facebook.com backslash Htag Sports, you can find all of our content. Uh, Paul, try to take it easy on Drew. He's, he's a little emotional right now. I'm just going to leave you with that. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's only going to get worse from here, friend, my friend. It's only going to get worse from I here. I can't wait. You guys take it easy. Thanks again for having right. me on. I really Thanks, appreciate man. it. Later, Mario. And so, guys, that's, I mean, that, that, that's it for meaningful Bills news or discourse this week, right? I mean, nothing else big happened. I mean, what else could have possibly gone on in the world of the Buffalo Bills? I mean, we might as well just move on. Oh, wait, that's right. We fired our freaking GM. Oh, oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now a franchise in transition. Let's talk about the firing of Doug Whaley. Starts off on a Sunday. I'm referring to it as Bloody Sunday. You know, just two days after doing the Should draft. Should I play you too under this? <laughs> no, because that band is garbage. Just two days after doing the draft night show over at Patavia Downs. I was there, I was on TV, me and my friends were all laughing, joking, having a good time. And then the morning after wrapping up the 2017 NFL draft, you know, I'm kind of on a high. I'm still buzzing. I'm like, oh, shit, it's been football for three straight days. It's been the best. I'm laying in bed. And I, I, I most of the, spent most of the previous day drinking and was just kind of looking forward to a Sunday filled with minor errands and a little bit of draft analysis, getting ready for the podcast. So when I was awakened by my girlfriend, who never bothers me, I, I want to put this out there. I never sleep on weekends. I don't care if I've been out drinking until 4 a.m. I'm up by 7.45, 8 o'clock every single morning, regardless of when I went to sleep. Because I'm I'm a monster like that. So on the rare occasion when I do sleep past 8 o'clock, my girlfriend doesn't bother me. She closes the door. She keeps the dogs out of the bedroom. She lets me sleep. She came bursting into the bedroom to inform me that Doug Whaley had just been fired. That kind of set the tone for my friggin' day. I mean, as you can expect, I had to just abandon Twitter and Facebook after about 25 minutes of looking at it because it just burned my eyes like chlorine bleach. And I mean, this you, you could see parts of our fan base that were equal parts angry, relieved, and bewildered. So instead of sitting there and just trying to like keep up with the news and soak it all in, I, I kind of unplugged, got off the grid, Got a bottle of Tito's 
and just kind of let it all soak in. And by it all soak in, I also, I'm not just talking about the vodka into my liver. (laughs) So this whole thing starts off with who was Doug Whaley to the Buffalo Bills? I mean, let's take a look at the job the guy did. Anyone who wants to tell me that Doug Whaley was a total and just complete disaster as a GM is a person that I'm going to assume is either drunk or just doesn't understand what a GM's job is at the NFL level. Do you remember, well, Paul, you don't know this. I, he's a guy I used to work with, Greg. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. His, oh, our, our listeners know Greg very well. Yeah. his uh, Doug, Stupid predictions. Yeah. Doug Whaley was the, to him, worst general manager that we've ever had. And Sammy Watkins' injury history is Doug Whaley's fault. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how and someone's injury history is at fault of the GM. Can can we just talk for a moment, just just briefly about how much money Doug Whaley, Rex Ryan, TM GM is making? Because I Doug Whaley signed an extension not too long ago, and I can't find numbers on what it actually was anywhere. I've no I I've scoured because, because the Pagulas have squashed it because they don't want to talk about it. But it's interesting you bring that up. Now, so I'm taking a look over all of this. And, <laughs> you know, I just I don't get it. You know, they, they just signed him to an extension. You had to assume he was doing something right, right? They did it, I think, to more align him with Rex Ryan in hopes that that would bring the two of them together. But then, once again, why do you need to align your GM with your coach? Here I am on Sunday. Sitting on my couch, drinking my four finger my four finger deep uh, vodka, and I guess I should say water with a splash of Arnold Palmer. I drink a bit, just a bit. I don't know if any of you out there get that. I started to think about what he was in this franchise and what he accomplished, and trying to stack it up to try to figure out why he got fired. Because, like you said, he just got an extension. So let's take a look at some of the positive things that Doug Whaley brought to this franchise. April, I know all this, okay? But I do like hearing it, so go on. Player for player trades. That's where I'll start. Doug, throughout the history of the Buffalo Bills, we have not been known for playing trading players for players. That's a hockey thing. That doesn't happen in football. But twice during the cor- during the tenure of our you know, his his tenure here, Doug Whaley absolutely fleeced other teams in trades. By sending one player there for another player. It started off with the the Jerry Hughes-Kelvin Shepard trade. Does anyone remember that? Jerry Hughes, who is probably the best pass rusher we have on this team, was acquired for a, for a straight-up trade for a linebacker that we drafted in the third round, who has been a journeyman for the rest of his career. Yeah, so... Uh, and and to, to Whaley's credit, like when they drafted Jerry Hughes... Uh, they they were expecting to get a guy who's transitioning positions, right? They want to play outside linebacker uh, because he doesn't really strike you as a four three D end, right? He's not the build of your typical four three D. He plays it so well. He's got that super high motor, right? Yep. So you look at him, and on a piece of paper, he looks like a three four outside line, or he looks like three four outside, right? That's what that's what he looks yeah. for. Um, but he was a man without position because the Colts were transitioning from a. Uh, from a, uh, they were transitioning defensive schemes. So the Bills were going to a 4 3, 
the the Colts were going to a three four, and it, it was just one of those circumstances where the Bills said, "You know what, Kelvin Shepard is not working out. Let's just swap, right? Let's it." Unfortunately, you see that a lot in the preseason, right? And so that's how the Bills ended up with uh, with Thad Lewis. We traded uh, the the Lions of uh, I think a tight end or an offensive lineman. We got Thad Lewis back for that. I don't think Whaley gets credit for the fact that Thad Lewis was responsible for part of a, an entire season, right? Uh, so th- these player for player trades. Uh, I I, re- I agree with you. I, I don't think Whaley gets enough credit for that kind of stuff because he picked up Hughes off the trash heap. He, he traded Kelvin Shepard, who's been, I think, on four teams since the Bills have traded him. Yeah. Um, and uh, He was and, last you know, seen on the Giants. Yeah. I mean, mind you, he made the playoffs, so good for him. But you've been, you've been on the Dolphins, the Giants, obviously the Colts. He's been all over the league. Miami. He was in Miami. Miami. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, so he's trolled the he's trolled the AFC. You know, he's, we had some of our best rushing days against Kelvin Shepard. Yeah, on that Miami defense. And then and just to switch gears here, he also fleeced Philly out of Lashawn McCoy for Kiko Alonso. Chip Kelly fleeced Philly oh. on the trade for Lashawn McCoy. And Kiko I mean, the Alonso. fact that Ke- the, the fact that we have Lashawn McCoy for Kiko Alonso and no draft picks. Not a single. You've got a guy who's a one-year wonder coming off an Achilles tear, and he somehow talks Chip Kelly into accepting a trade straight up for for LeSean McCoy. That's highway robbery. Someone call the police. You know, it's actually funny. There was a time where Kiko Alonso and Kelvin Shepard were on the Dolphins together. I just want to point that out. There was a time where they were both on the roster together. It's it's one of those satisfying moments where you're like, there it is. Yeah, there. yeah, it is. <laughs> there it is. And and, and I I like Kiko, I, but Kiko was was not a good fit because he really got sticky in the hole. Right? Yep. Man, that's a bad term. I really got to look for a different term. Uh, he would just get run over. He'd step in the box and he would just get run over. He he was he would be a great will linebacker. Yep. Right. He's not an inside. He's not a middle linebacker. Nope. He's not an inside linebacker. He'd be a great will linebacker. But that's not what anybody asks him to play. Nope. For some reason, he keeps sticking in the middle and he keeps getting torched. He just gets run over. Uh, you're playing in the middle. He'd be a great Will linebacker. So, Rookie season, Tampa Bay, first play of the game. Oh, he misplayed his hole. and 80 wh- wh- yards. And who was the running back? Uh, I think it was the muscle hamster. No, no it, it wasn't. wasn't Doug it was the backup because I had him on my fantasy team, and I remember oh. being at the gas pump, pumping gas because it was a meaningless game. Bobby Rainey. It was Bobby, Bobby Rainey. It was Bobby And I had picked him up asshole. off waivers that week in my fantasy league, and I, when I saw my phone blowing up that Bobby Rainey scored a touchdown, I almost spiked my phone in the middle of the, the gas station parking lot because I was equal parts excited and angry. You're like the models in Zoolander. <laughs> You're like showering yourself in gasoline like, oh, man, we'll just... Pray for the end. We'll just pray That's for it. the end. So, uh, as I'm trying to state, though, I, I know we've rambled on about this, but two core pieces of the current Buffalo Bills team were acquired by Doug Whaley, basically robbing another team. Also, let's not act like he didn't have some unrestricted free agent and late-round draft success. First off, Lorenzo Alexander. Okay, he... F- he found him out of nowhere, plugged him into a Rex Ryan defense, and he became a pro bowler. I was screaming to anyone who would listen to me that Zach Brown was going to be a good player and that the Bills needed to get him at the onset of free agency. So we signed him after the draft and got a pro bowl year out of him. Richie Incognito. He, he's the one who essentially signed off, even though he was a Rex Ryan guy. 
He signed off on the signing of a guy who needed a second chance and became a pro bowler. You also look at, you know, St- Corey Graham, steady multi-year starter. He had production. He wasn't a, a world beater, but he was good at what he did when you put him in the right spot to be there. Nicole, Reb- Nickel, Roby Coleman. I, oh, I'll, I'll never the be Rams able, game. I'll never be able to not call him Roby, but Nickel Roby is an undrafted free agent who was a multi-year starter for this football team. That the the Roby signing and the Roby continual uh, playing drove me absolutely insane. <laughs> I could not stand it. I, I hated to watch him line up in the slot. It just drive drove me crazy. But he was good in spots depending on who his opponent was. Drew, what was it? Uh, Bills need to do their fucking job. Oh, I was screaming, and then giving up chunk yardage to the fucking Rams. And then as soon as I scream it, Nikkel Roby Coleman picks six to the house, and I'm just left with a stupid look on my face and a video on Instagram with 15,000 views. I mean, the reason Roby was (laughs) successful was because he slid in underneath. Because, I mean, if you look at a quarterback, right, he's sitting in the pocket, he's got guys who are 6'5", 6'7", sitting in front of him. Yeah, he is. He's just snaking his way through. That's all he did. He just snaked his way through. But I, I just couldn't stand watching him. Get beaten press coverage in zone coverage. He was he was fine. I'm yep. not going to say he wasn't, but in press coverage, he was he was just a disaster. But so who's to say he wouldn't still be a fit for this team if he was still here? If he but if, our if GM, they think he would have been a fit, they he'd our, still be on the roster. But they, our GM made a decision. Now Carlos Williams with the fifth round pick that was a steal beyond a steal. He found a guy who generated nine touchdowns in his rookie season, which is unbelievable. And then Mike Gillisley. For as much as everyone pans him for letting him go this season, can I point out that he took a street-free agent, brought him onto this roster, and paid him a minimum salary, and then converted him into a draft pick? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. that To me, that's a winning move. That, that, that's a move that you make if you are a winning franchise. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a move that that I think gets a little underplayed because uh, going into this offseason I was like there's no way they're not gonna tag Gillisley in a second round pick they're gonna tag him in a second round pick he's gonna get paid nobody's gonna sign him for a second round pick the Bills could probably flip that and trade him for a third or a fourth come draft day because uh, running backs have a tendency to slide in the draft so I was looking at it going they're gonna tag him at a second round level and then they tagged Ryan Groy again a practice squad signing and I was like oh my god. They, they tag Groy at a second round. And then I realized the genius behind that, right? That was smart to tag Groy at yep. a second round. He played just as good as Eric Wood last year. He anchored great. Uh, he came in and filled in for Wood playing center. Groy could play guard. He could play center. Now they've still got him on a deal, right, which is which is fine. And they were able to flip Gillisley for a fifth. Uh, you know, this is also another guy who was able to find Tyler Thigpen off the street, and, and I'm not going to say Tyler Thigpen played great all the time, but there were games that Tyler Thigpen changed the momentum of a football game because of the way that he was able to return. Was it a short-term investment? Absolutely it was. But Thigpen, I thought, was an underrated signing as well because uh, he was able to flip a couple games right on its head uh, mm-hmm. because of his punt return game. The Bills really, really had – they've had terrible special teams the last three years. Yep. Terrible special teams. And Thigpen was a big part of that. Well, and so then the other the other aspect that I think people are missing here, Doug Whaley has the best winning percentage of any GM during the drought. He's top of the mountain. Even though we failed to make the playoffs, I want to run these numbers by you. Donahoe, okay, started it all. 
the, the guy right after uh, Butler was kicked out of office, 38.8% winning percentage. He was fired. Then Marv Levy stepped in as a, basically a figurehead. He was a walking corpse at that point. 43.8% winning percentage. He's still alive. You can't yeah. call him a walking corpse. This was like he. I'm, I'm just, hey, mind. this is the eye test, my friend. He <laughs> looks right, like a dead right. body. <laughs> then you've got Russ Brandon for two seasons. Two seasons as a GM, the winning percentage was 40.6. Buddy Nix, you know, I wasn't, when I heard Buddy Nix and Chan Gailey were going to be our GM and coach, I didn't get excited. I, I you just can't. They posted the lowest winning percentage together as a tandem at 37.1%. And then Doug Whaley steps in with a 46.9%. So basically, he was just above 500 about for his career as a GM. When you consider what we've been since the beginning of the drought, I don't know if you can ask. I mean, he did better than any of his predecessors, but it still wasn't good. Well, I look at the aspects of the team that he admittedly didn't handle, right? Didn't negotiate contracts, left at the Overdorf, right? That That's that's his deal. He doesn't deal with contracts. I, I, I do have a significant problem with that, right? If you're a general manager, you need to be in the thick of the contract negotiations. You need to control that. That's what you need to do. And he, he triaged that, right? I don't think a GM, a successful GM in the NFL can effectively do their job when they're not effectively managing the number, right? So I do take issue with the fact that Whaley triaged a lot of work, right? Not Mm -hmm. to mention, guys, I mean, he was rough with the media. I mean, we're not talking Bill Belichick rough. We're talking like space cadet rough. So... I, I get it. He was rough on that stuff, and he was rough on a lot of things. And that brings me to the other side of the coin. Doug Whaley's failures as a GM. I mean, during one of his press conferences, he they asked him, do you think you did a good job? And he was just like, well, I think I did the best with what I had. I mean, what do you think about that? That's spoken like a true asshole. <laughs> now, you want to take a look at what he actually accomplished. Here's where I'll tell you where he fucked up. First off, he was a riverboat gambler when it came to draft capital and cap space. To your point, you have to be involved with the numbers. You can't just trust it to somebody else and hope that they're going to have do a good enough job to save your ass. People have beaten you know the cost of Sammy Watkins to death at this point. So I'm not even going to get into that aspect of things. Some of these, that just kind of but i think people are so focused on the Sammy Watkins move that it eclipses a lot of the other shitty decisions he's made. I mean, here's a list of them. First off, he did give up that extra first round pick for Watkins, okay? But that almost drives people to forget that he also traded away a fourth round pick for Bryce Brown, who was cut f- the next season and was out of football completely. I, I got to be honest. I love that signing. Oh, I love that trade. Oh my I God. did. Bryce Brown was one of those guys who he was kind of like Bernard Pierce in, in, uh, in Baltimore. He had this game breaking ability, but, but he just couldn't ever put it together. You know, he'd have great games where he, he, he torched the defense, put a great numbers. He had, I think he had two games where he rushed for over 180 yards in Philly. Uh, he, Really, all the talent in the world, but just couldn't see it, couldn't get it, couldn't consistently bottle it up and produce at an NFL level. No, and and I mean, that's one of those things. Like, you took a gamble on a guy and got burned. But when you gambled, I mean, what is gambling? You're playing against the house. The house usually wins. Same thing with the Reggie Ragland trade. You moved up eight spots and gave up two fourth-round picks. 
not just your own pick, but two fourth rounders. You went. We podcast. I went ballistic because yeah. in that defense, he could have been a force. But in this new defense, now I'm looking at it and thinking, okay. So you did, and, and I've, I've, I, I don't hate the player, and I still think that he has the ability to be successful in the NFL. But ultimately, what I what I need to see is what did you do? You gave away two players who could be contributors at the NFL level to get one guy. That one guy then needs to step. Well, what you're doing is whenever you trade up for a player like that, you're basically assuring that he he has to be an all star because if he's not, he's never going to equate the value that you lost in trading away opportunities to draft two other players to fill holes on your roster. Well, I think it's important to point out that most NFL teams grade between 15 and 18 first-round players, right? So they put their board up, and everybody thinks that they have 32 first-round players, and they don't. Most NFL teams have between 15 and 18 guys that they grade as a first-round pick. Way we traded up because they had Raglan tagged as a first-round pick. So to them, that investment was worth it because they're in the second round. They can go up and grab a guy who they still had a first-round grade on. Now, mind you, Reggie Raglan in a 3-4, I don't disagree that he looks like a, a tail-end first-round talent, right? But middle or inside linebackers carry near no value in the NFL draft. You saw that with Reuben Foster, Yep, right? They carry near no value. So you, I think they could have stayed pat and probably got him, but they didn't want to play that game. They had him graded as a first-round talent, so they went out and got him. I don't think Reggie Raglan in a 4-3 makes a ton of sense, right? Especially with the incumbent Preston Brown, who I, I just have to assume the Bills are looking at saying, okay, it's just time to go. It's time to go. Okay, let's take this one step farther. He trades for McCoy. I give him a huge high five for that. Then you go and give him a $40 million contract extension. That when you made do, no sense. When you don't have to. Yeah, that made no sense. Now you've put your team in cap purgatory. You've put your team in cap trouble when really you didn't have to. You could have been shrewd, and you could have squeezed the player a little bit. But you wanted to placate him. You want us, You want him to be happy. I get that. I'm not saying that our players shouldn't be happy. But at some point, team success has to come over the, these players' happiness. It has to. Otherwise, we'll never be a winning franchise. We'll be a country club. Explain to me how the Bills have consistently spent money uh, and are consistently against the cap Yet haven't had a quarterback in two decades. Thank you. How, how do you, are we how do you keep how how are we here where we're having to shave the cap every season? Yet we're not paying a quarterback. Uh, we're not paying a wide receiver. Right? You're talking about the two most expensive positions in the NFL: quarterback, wide receiver. Two most expensive next to outside linebacker. Or, I'm sorry, uh, next to uh, defensive end. How how have we not had to pay those positions? Yet we're clearly paying somewhere else. Why are we here? When have we drafted a quarterback? Well, that's the problem. We don't draft quarterbacks, we don't draft DNs, and we don't draft linebackers or wide receivers. So what are we supposed to do? We keep trying. And that brings me to my next point, okay? You look at what he's done. I want to I run these numbers by you. When, you. when I talk about roster management and lack of draft success, this is one of the things that I think really got Whaley fired. In December, Tim Graham of the Buffalo News wrote a piece that gave some statistics. As of December 2016, perennial playoff contenders around the league, we all know who they are, the, you know, the, 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 the usual suspects when it comes to who's contending for a playoff spot every year, had an average of 61.1% more draft picks on their active game day rosters than the Bills were carrying. 
Now, we were also last in the NFL with only 22 of our own draft picks active for the 2016 season. Everyone else on that roster was a free agent that we had to pay to come off the street. You compare that to teams like the Steelers, who had 45 players. The, the Packers had 57 players. The Packers are notorious. They don't sign free agents. They don't have to. They draft so well. They, they draft well. Yeah. So, in, in our standpoint, 22? 22 is ridiculous. That, that's a massive failure from a drafting standpoint. And what that means is that Whaley had to spend his entire career here trying to field from the free agent wire. Which meant he was always just trying to, okay, this works, this works, let's throw some contracts at my team and see if that makes it good. You will never win in today's NFL if you don't draft well. If you don't draft well, not only can you not win for a year or two, you can't win consistently if you don't draft well. And this is a huge indictment of it. The fact that the teams that do win, they carry these draft picks forever. Whereas we, and then when those draft picks hit free agency, they've already got his backup or her, you know, I shouldn't say her, but that guy's backup, <laughs> no matter what position he plays, they've got his backup already on the roster. Whereas now we are constantly year to year scrambling to try to figure out how to fill holes until we as a team start building the building blocks of what a good franchise is, getting starters. And then just every year, I want three or four guys out of every single draft that's going to be a high-level starter on my team. You start doing that, you'll start winning football games. And Whaley just didn't do it. No, that's very true, right? So you you saw consistent roster turnover. And and unfortunately, you saw a lot of money invested in guys that – uh, admittedly, were good players, but you knew you were overpaying. Like like Marcel Marcel Darius, that contract makes no sense in a four three scheme, right? It makes sense in a three four scheme because he can play nose, but in a in a four three scheme, it makes no sense, right? You're paying a defensive tackle an amazing amount of money to play next to a guy who's probably making near veteran minimum. Because that's what you can afford to get, right? So I understand that the Bills have been pampered with with a player like Kyle Williams, but that road's coming very quickly to an end. Yep. Um, and yes, that's going to free up some cap space. But again, the truth of the matter is, you you've had piss poor secondary. You like when you're champion a player like Jarius Bird. I'm sorry, Jarius Bird is an average free safety. He was an average player. He had one great year where a lot of balls just kind of came his way. Exactly. They were all the from majority there, he, of his picks from were there. He balls. wasn't terrible, but he wasn't a world beater. No, he wasn't a champ Bailey. No. He was a guy who did his job the way it was supposed to be done. That's why he ruined the Saints. Oh, it's absolutely why he ruined the Saints because he was Crushed nothing him. more than an average I, safety. Mickey Loomis is the worst GM in the NFL. So I mean, don't even don't even get hey, he still has Mickey a Loomis. job though. He does still and have right a job. Now, Doug Whaley doesn't. Yes, but I'll say there's one other thing here that I just can't help. It's like an itch that I just got to scratch, and I got to put this out there and see what you Bills fans out here listening to us think about it. I call it the asshole principle. Now, follow me here. The last thing that sticks out to me is probably one of the most commonly missed things here. I mean, Doug Whaley had three coaches under him during his time as Bill's GM. Doug, Rex, Sean. At some point during each of their tenures, rumors started to surface or there was friction between the GM and the coach. People, reporters talking about how Doug and 
you know, <laughs> I'm Doug and uh, Whaley are screaming at each other. You know, D- Doug Whaley is screaming at Marone, Marone yeah. about something at training camp, and they're having a fight. That doesn't just, and the team tries to play it off like it's not happening. That's a real thing. People see it. Guys are yelling at each other on the field. Then Rex comes in, and everything's gravy for the first year. And then that second year, you hear those rumors again. Oh, coach and GM friction. Did he oh, hire didn't... Rex Ryan? No, he didn't no, hire No. Him. Well, again, yet it's another not reason. His yeah, it's not his job, right? We, but, heard, we heard that a lot. But so then Sean McDermott comes in. And almost immediately, you hear stories being leaked to the media about friction between where the coach thinks the team needs to go and how the GM feels about the roster and what needs to happen with the team. I heard a saying once, and I firmly believe that this is the truth. If you think that every person you run into over the course of a day is some kind of an asshole, you need to take a step back and look in the mirror because you might be the asshole. I believe that saying every day. That's the asshole principle. Yeah, You might be the asshole. If everyone around you is the problem... Maybe you're the problem. You know, I, I think it's interesting to talk about the McDermott versus Whaley controversy because a lot of people said, what do you mean Whaley's going to get fired? He just hired McDermott. What, you think he hired his replacement? Yes. If he was really all that involved in the process. Whaley was not somebody who was, you know, begging for more responsibility, right? He was begging for attention, but not begging for more responsibility. So I, I made a joke on Facebook about the relationship between Whaley and McDermott, and, and the joke was... Was McDerm- it like was it like Colbert and Trump? Yes. Very similar. Very similar. So <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it wasn't. Uh, but it, it, was, it was a joke similar to uh, McDermott says to Whaley, hey, Whaley, I need you to go get me a razor. And Whaley looks at the board and goes, Arkansas, you mean the Razorbacks? They were terrible this year. We don't have anybody on our board for that. He goes, no, I need a razor for my press conference to look so fresh because I'm, gonna, I'm about to fire your ass. <laughs> like that. But the truth is, right, that, uh, you know, McDermott has come in and taken power to the effect that Chip Kelly requested in San Francisco and was loaded for by the media. The media went nuts when Chip Kelly requested full control in San Francisco. Didn't get it, right? Requested full control in Philly. Got it, right? He had full control over that roster. He did that and demanded that as part of the job. That's what he wanted. He wanted full control. McDermott comes in, doesn't announce that he wants full control, but what has happened? He's got full control of that football Does team. he, though? Because they're, they're, this is where I guess we move on because the Pagulas held a press conference. Terry Pagula got him got himself finally because the media has been bashing Terry Pagula for not coming out on stage and not interacting with the media. They've accused him of hiding. I think it's bullshit. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that he understands the kind of hack reporters we have here in Buffalo. I'm sorry, Jerry Sullivan, he makes me want to peel my own eyeballs out. I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't stand it. Every journalist writes for an agenda, right? Yeah, they, they everyone have, has they have an agenda. agenda that they need to they need to follow, and I, and I, I understand that. Uh, that's why I think you know, like our website with your podcast, it, these are very objective points of view that yeah. you try and get across, and that's why a lot of that media that you see out there, it's they're trying to write to a point. The questions that they ask are trying to narrate the, the story that they want to tell. It that reporter wants to tell. And I don't I don't think that's really fair to. To fans in Buffalo to say, listen, this is all you're going to see. You're going to hear somebody's agenda. Well, now, we have audio from that press conference, and we're going to discuss it really quick. 
I, I guess, the, I mean, for me personally, out of the whole press conference, he said two things that concern me the most. The first and by far the biggest is this. If we need to ask Russ questions, we're going to ask him. He's, he's a member of the Bills organization. That audio comes to you from buffalobills.com. That is Terry Pagula flat out telling you that the question had been to Terry Pagula. Will Russ Brandon have any involvement in the GM search? And his response, you heard it from his own mouth. Everyone's fears, everyone in this fan base, their fears would seem to be confirmed. Russ Brandon is still somehow, still involved with the inner workings of this franchise, even though he's proven he's a brilliant PR man. He is. I will give him that. He is absolutely not what you would refer to as a quote-unquote great football mind. No. Not at all. But he's been able to put asses in the seat for years of a subpar football team. And there is something to be said for that. However, um, you know, Russ Brandon, when his role as described by Doug Whaley was, yeah, I don't really know what he does. Like that's that's a that's a typical Doug Whaley quote. He's like, yeah, I don't he's really involved. But I, I can't tell you really what he does. Like, come on. Come on. And then about midway through the press conference, there was this exchange. This isn't justification, but there's not. It's very common in pro sports to have quote dead money in coaching and management. You'd be surprised. There's, there's. It's very common. Audio comes to you from BuffaloBills.com. I don't know if you either of you you watched it. You watch it? Uh, I watched it on rebroadcast. So yeah, Pagula's. I think Pagula. I think is just flat out bad at press conferences. Yeah, no, no, no. He's That's far from his forte. This is a guy who owned land for fracking. I mean, let's just be... These, this, press conferences are not his thing. This is this is not a guy who said, oh man, I can't wait to buy a football team so I get to talk to 35 reporters you know, every other week. That That's really not his deal. This goes back to your point that you were starting to make earlier. And I'm sorry I cut you off, Paul, but because no. I knew I was going to circle back to it now. I don't. I don't even know what to say about this. That that statement right there. You know, it was in reference to a reporter's question. That do you realize that you have dead money from two fired GMs and two fired head coaches still on your books, still on your books, and now you're undergoing a new GM search for both of your franchises and two new head and one new head coach. Well, not only that, but also the entire scouting department. Like you, you salted the earth. Like. If you think that the best thing to do is to salt the earth and just completely torch everything else that's around you, uh, that's just, that's specifically what has happened at One Bills Drive is that they've gone ahead and said, Let, "Let's that's it. We're just going to start over again. Let's hit the reset button." Uh, although there's really no reset button in sports, let's hit the reset button and let's see what we can figure out down the road. But, I mean, you're paying so many people to just not do a job anymore. I understand that he believes and he's been told that this is common in sports and that you would be surprised. But the fact of the matter is you're paying a GM who isn't with your football team anymore. You're paying a GM who isn't with your hockey team anymore. You're paying a head coach who you're paying not to coach your hockey team. You're paying a head coach who you're paying not to coach your football team. You And these are all five-year contracts, or you just signed them to an extension 12 months ago or eight months ago. It's it's ridiculous that you go into it saying, listen, you're, you've got two years locked on your deal. You need to earn that money because we do the same thing to football players. Why is it different for front-end personnel? I thought that Rex's deal was kind of offset with his job at Espen. 
Well, it is, but if he agrees to take a free position, he still wants our money. I, I don't mean, think I, he's getting paid it. I don't at, think he's SPN. getting paid at ESPN. Why he he would take a pay cut to get paid at ESPN? So yeah, why would he do it? So why would he do that? He's doing it nobody pro would have hired him in the NFL. No, because it gets space out there so that once this year of free money is over, he he has options. Mm-hmm. He has places to go. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't know what to say about any of this shit. I mean, a lot of teams have this type of dead money for fired GMs. Well, what the fuck is that to say? To come up. <sighs> It's your Goose not- Fraba. Uh, all right, hang on a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect myself. Goose Fraba. What Goose I have to say Fraba. is this. I'm going to be calm, and I'm going to talk my way through this. I think that it's indicative of a lot of things. First and foremost, we know the Pagulas. I thank them for being committed to this fran- for these franchises, to this city. They've done a lot of good for all of us. Now, we wouldn't have the teams we have if it wasn't for them. They could have been moved anywhere. Pagula bought the teams and kept them here. And I thank them for that. Let me also say that these are rookie results. You're talking about an owner and his wife who know nothing about the respective sports that they've gotten themselves into. They don't know the inner workings of hockey. They don't know the inner workings of football. I... I, I mean, this is these kind of results that we've seen from front office management is what you would get if you turn Chris and I loose with six cases of beer and a couple billion dollars to blow on a sports franchise. Hey, our postgame pressers would sound awesome. <laughs> the fact remains, these are rookie results, but that's not a knock against the Pagulas. I think this is more indicative of the need, the need for them to figure out who is in charge. Find someone to teach you the business. Find, I, I mean, you know, they, I don't care what you want to call them, a czar of football, whether you want to call them a president of hockey and football operations. They have to get people in place who know the sports, who can manage the sports while teaching them what it takes to be good owners. And then at that point, you know, you would never give a job to a rookie quarterback. First year in the draft, would you expect great results? No, of course not. That's We talked about this off-air. That's why you never trade future first-round picks when you're drafting a quarterback. No. That's why Philly doing it, uh, the Rams doing it, it makes no sense because you know that your rookie quarterback is not leading you to the promised land. You're going to no. have a top 15 pick again the next year. So giving up a future first-round pick completely sets your franchise back three years easy. We've done the ownership equivalent of that. We have a dedicated owner, and he's said he's going to be here for the long haul, but he doesn't know the sport. Mm -hmm. And given that, you have to surround yourself with people who know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to, because if you don't, you will continue to fail, because you don't know what it takes to succeed. Mm -hmm. You you could sit me down. I mean – you you work in a medical field, you yep. know. You you work people through. You, you talk people through, teach them how to do a certain aspect of medical billing. Yep. Okay. I can't just walk in day one and expect to be good at what I'm doing because I've never been trained. I don't know the topic. Paul, would I be good at what you did day one? Not a chance. There it is. <laughs> Not a chance. So there's no way you can expect an ownership group that's never been involved with either one of these sports before at a professional level to just walk in and know what's good for the teams. Well, and to that point, normally when you see ownership change or even when you see head coach change, you see an annex of 
personnel, right? You see the personnel changeover, be it head coach, front office staff. You see everything just slowly uh, slowly implode. You start terminating guys. You start rehiring your guys. We haven't seen that, right? This is the first real annexing of any front office staff that, that the Pagulas have had to do, and they've just doubled down and said, you know what? Let's get it done all right now. No, and you know what they did? They they came through. I give them credit for that. They at least realized that okay, this isn't going anywhere. Right. Let's clean house. Let's. But again, if you don't bring in someone who knows what they're doing, I don't know that it's just not going to continue. But you take a look at those guys. Was Tom Coughlin the answer? No, I don't think so. I was thrilled that Coughlin did not take a position with the Bills as a football advisor. Don't get me wrong. Tom Coughlin, I think, had a very important place in NFL history, right? I just don't think that he's got in a very important front office position directing your football operations. He's a very old school guy. And I think you're starting to see the results of that in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, and I would love to say that the Bills should bring in somebody, but the truth is that this is very different than a major market team. You have a small town team. I think what you need to do is you need to go and look at the Packers and you need to say that's a small market team. Let's see what information we can siphon out of their organization. Who can we sign from Green Bay? Because that is an organization that does it the right way every day and has for the last 15 years. You know that That's an organization that you target and say, we need to hire their talent. Now, mm-hmm. let's go see who's available and hire the <clears> best <throat> available. No, no, no. You target the organization you want to exploit, and then you exploit them. And, and Green Bay is a small market team, yet you cannot get a ticket in that stadium. You hire that talent. Yep. So the question is, where do we go from here? I mean, how do we move forward in a direction that's going to bring any kind of success? I think this draft is not a good indication of the future of this football team, right? So you fire a general manager, you fire the entire scouting staff, but yet you're still supposed to support the draft as this great move forward for the franchise. Listen, that. Firing the draft and firing the GM and the scouting department after the draft is exactly what you do. You wait for the end of their fiscal year, which is basically the end of the draft, and then you let it go. That, that's it. You, you let it go. That was smart for them not to do that because it's not that Whaley drafted poorly for the positions that you needed, right? Mm-hmm. If, this was a, if this was a draft where you're like, listen, we need offensive linemen, we need a running back. We need, if you looked at your major needs and it weren't linebacker, cornerback, top two on the board, then I think you let Whaley go in January. But you take a look at your major needs. Whaley's never had a problem finding cornerbacks, never had a problem finding linebackers. I think that you're okay moving forward as a franchise, allowing him to draft those positions, allowing the department to move forward signing undrafted free agents because those are your positions of need. And then you say, okay, time's over. That's it. It's time to move on. If your major need was quarterback, you would have fired Doug Whaley in January. If that's what you thought your number one need was. Oh, absolutely. No, if, if that's what you thought and that's where you thought you would be. I mean, if I, I, I feel like if – I don't know what to think because I, I guess on one hand I look at Doug Whaley and I say, listen, this guy wasn't the best GM, but he wasn't the worst GM either. He was mediocre. What this tells me though, it's encouraging. For all of you listening as we hash our way through this – this franchise is sick of being mediocre, finally. And you had Ralph Wilson as an owner who was just, you know, the guy was on his deathbed for years. 
in years. I remember seeing him at training camp in a golf cart that he looked like a stiff breeze might kill him. And I remember thinking, get him inside. What is he doing out here? He was unplugged from the franchise, and the franchise just kind of treaded water for a while. I mean, we we were still – you know, Russ Brandon put asses in the seats, but we were a winning team because we didn't have an owner who was demanding results from the people working underneath him. If there's any positive takeaway from all of this, it's that we have an owner who will not accept failure. And I, I like that. I, I I like the fact that we have this guy in place in Terry Pagula who has the money to burn, doesn't care. You know, you heard him say it. Oh, other teams have this problem. I'm not concerned. Not concerned? You're paying out upwards of $25 million to men who no longer work for you. That Just that we know of. That we know we, of. Because we still don't know what Wheelie's contract was. So right? the fact is, you've got that guy who's willing to step up to the podium and say, yep, yeah, this is the thing. And guess what? I don't care. I don't care because I want to get it right. I give him, as much as I bash him for not having experience, I give him all the credit in the world for at least stepping up to the plate and doing it. Now, as you said, this draft was kind of a weird one because it's one of the ones that, you know, the GM gets fired immediately afterwards. No one seems to know who's running it. Chris, (laughs) let's kind of segue here. NFL draft talk. Well, we did have a party. We had a party. You guys were busy on TV. We had a party. And Chris, can- our party involved, uh, we did a podcast that didn't get released. You yelled at me. And one of the things that I do when we have a tailgate, Super, Super Bowl party, what do I bring? Oh, he always brings the tripod, the camera, and the and a microphone. And you missed out on the most important one. I bring chicken wing dip. <laughs> Paul, I make the best chicken wing dip. Drew, back me up. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yes. So, we did our podcast. Drew, Drew starts yelling at me about our podcast. And as a subtle way of, of fuck you... I usually leave the chicken wing dip at your place. I know you took, I took it. it. I knew I, you were mad at I me. Took it, I took it with me because of our argument of our podcast not playing. I did sift through all three hours of material that we got, and we didn't even get to the Bills pick before we yelled at each other. So this is a highlight of the recording that we had on draft night. Gavin, his little cousin who plays football. Gavin. Say hi. Hi. And then we have Reed Ferguson, who actually plays football. (laughs) And my girlfriend, Larissa. She's here. The The only female. The only female. It's a sausage fest, ladies and gentlemen. Larissa, can you go make me a sandwich? (laughs) Chris, would you like a beer with that, too, sir? Please. Oh, I don't even get that kind of service. What the fuck? Oh, bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the more more top picks LSU has, the more Alabama doesn't. Amen. Amen. Second observation of the night. I'm sorry, but Mel Kuyper looks like a fatter version of Count Chocula. If you get the box of cereal out, you look at him, and then you look at the TV, and you put some glasses on him, just draw him on there with a magic marker. You'd swear they were brothers. Drew, can I ask you a question? What's that? Who do you think God is going to take first, O.J. Simpson <laughs> or Mel Kiper Jr.? Oh my God. We can only hope that it's Mel Kiper. That is true. The juice. Oh, the juice. 
The juice must be loose. Bill oh, we did. The 10th pick to Kansas City. Wow. What? Ah, Reed Ferguson. Really? Reed, did they really? Did McDermott text me? on the clock. Hey, Reed, that's a, that's a reach. That was a Bills thick. are on the clock <laughs> with a ton of, with a mountain of defensive Trade players. back. No, they traded trade back. back. We traded back to Kansas City. Where have you City. been? What? The Kansas Bills City. have traded back to Kansas City. They have oh, not. Oh! Let's check the Seagram's bed scoreboard! Ah! Next up on the Seagram's bed scoreboard is what ah! the Bills do. Drew said trade down. Ragman said trade down. What are we Chief talking just about? traded pick number 27. Here we go. Third round pick this year and their first round next year. Oh, yeah! yeah! Oh, yeah! Kyle Smith or Fahey on? Nope. Why not? Because Fahey is a small child. It's probably past his bedtime already. Oh, God. <laughs> Kyle Smith says he's on Scott now. I guess I'd call it. It's a Dixie horn. That is the angriest I have ever heard myself on the podcast yelling at Bob about not knowing the Dukes of Hazards and the Dixie horn. Dude, that's incredible. I mean, and the fact is we have a ton more audio that we're going to work into our subsequent shows as we talk about the draft. Now, Paul, we've got you here. During the first round, you were at Batavia Downs. Yeah, sure was. You were at Batavia Downs, and you were talking about that first round pick. And I'm sure you guys walked into that thinking, okay, the Bills are going to pick a 10. Who was your guy? Uh, I didn't think the Bills were going to pick a 10. So my okay, vote was, so my vote was for the Bills to trade down, but the fact was that the tenth pick had only ever been traded once, and that was in 2011, and it was for Blaine Gabbert. It was the only time the tenth pick had ever been traded. Right, it was in 2011. Fifty percent of the time, the eleventh or twelfth pick is traded. So I'm looking at the Bills at ten, and we call it a hashtag sports. We call it the fat chick pick because it's the last girl at the bar. It's that last contract at that big fifth year option. So it carries a lot of mind the pun carries a lot of weight, right? That tenth overall pick. So I thought in the it was South they call that hogging. Yeah, it is hogging. That is. <laughs> that's, hey, is that where you drive? You drive with a with a tag in the back of your truck? No, that's where you literally go out and with your buddies to see who can pick up the fattest chick at the bar. Okay. It's hey, called hogging. Hey, listen, I've I've done my fair share. Okay. All right. All right. So you could relate when the Bills traded the tenth overall pick. You're like, yep. yes, it finally happened. Yep. I, I really thought that pick was immovable. But the difference was I forgot the desperation that Casey was going to have to trade out. To trade out, mm-hmm. um, and they're betting on future years, right? So you really got to be dialed into your football to go from tenth overall to now seventeen teams are going to select, or sixteen teams are going to select before uh, your team again, right? So you got to really be dialed into your draft analysis and what other teams need, and it is a fun game to play. But it terrified the living shit out of me. When the Bills traded down to 27, we're not talking trading down to 12 or no, 14. No, because we're you're missing out on all the marquee playmakers in this draft. Exactly. Straight into the toilet, right? Right down to 27, which said they've got one guy that they want or they've got four guys they are just fine with. And that's what they did, right? They drafted Tredavious White, which is a fine pick. He's probably the best mirror cornerback out of everybody. The problem is he is far from physical. Let's talk about this. So here's here's where I got, folks. Those of you listening at home right now, 
I will say that trading back in the NFL draft, you know, and each week we're going to break down one draft pick at a time. We're going to pick this draft apart, and we're going to talk about how we felt about each pick. We're going to get guys on here to talk about it with us, and tonight Paul's here to break down Tredavious White. He clearly has done his homework. I will say that first off, the trade back. The trade back was the only redeeming thing of the first round for me. <laughs> I understand that. I will I say that. that. You get an extra top 100 selection in this draft and also a first-round pick next year with a quarterback-heavy draft. I'm sorry, but that's an absolute home run. Now, moving on to Tredavious White, you look at the pros for what Tredavious White brings. Pro Football Focus has a hard-on for this guy, and I'm starting to see why. First off, 14 pass deflections in 2016 led his team. Shows he can play the ball while it's in the air. You know, he reacts, he gets his head around, he's constantly looking for the football, which is something that guys like Leotis McKelvin never learned. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so Le- glad he said that name. He made it through five head coaches for whatever reason. He never knew where the ball was. Never. No, if never, Le- never, never. If Leotis McKelvin could figure out where the ball is, he still would be here in Buffalo. I'd be, I'll be honest with you. That, I. I <sighs> But I look at it and I say, okay, you know, what is what happened against him? You know, he plays in the SEC, which isn't a quarterback-heavy division. Well, he dominated by all accounts. I mean, his QBR against was 61.0, 42.6% completion percentage against. But then you tack on the fact that he is a dynamic kick and punt returner. I mean, him in the special teams, he will boost the value of our special teams unit uh, it's incredible what he could bring to either one of those. We haven't had a good kick and punt. Re- we haven't had a good punt returner since Leotis was here. Mm-hmm. Leotis was the best punt returner we ever had. Mumbles McFumbles. You're talking uh, about Mumbles McFumbles. I'll, I'll be honest, though. You know what? He was good at what he did. When he had the ball in his hands, mm-hmm. he was good at what he did. Yep. Getting the ball there because he couldn't track it in the air was impossible. Right. He couldn't get interceptions to save his life. But when he had the ball in his hands on a punt return, he got yards. He did. So White seems to follow in that same vein, which, like you touched on earlier, our special teams units have been terrible for years. And he posted the number one coverage grade for all of NCAA football, according to Pro Football Focus. 89.5. He beat out, you know, you're talking about guys like uh, Cordea Tankersley, Marshawn Lattimore, you know, Witherspoon, Garyon Conley. Um, who else? I mean, I'm just looking at this list. It's ridiculous. Mika Fitzpatrick from Alabama. Right. I thought Fitzpatrick was a stud, and he blew Fitzpatrick out of the water in coverage grade. Well, I mean, that's because he doesn't lose a guy, right? When I talk about being the best mirror corner, this guy has great hips. Right, and he's got great hips. He's got his head on a swivel at all times. He will stay with you because he's quick, but he's not physical. Right? If you look at him and you compare him against Josh Norman, right? Uh, Tre'Davious White's five eleven. Josh Norman's six foot. Tre'Davious White's one ninety two. Norman was one ninety seven coming out of college, and you can see the same thing about Norman that. He could play zone and man equally, but the best thing about Norman was that he was physical up front, but he was able to stay with the man through being physical. Tredavious White doesn't have that gear, right? He doesn't have that physical gear. He's going to get locked up early with these really physical slot receivers. That's why he's not a slot guy, right? He's going to need to stay on the outside. If you you think Tredavious White's going to come in and play in the slot because you got Kevon Seymour on one side 
you're you're wrong, right? He's not a slot guy. You need those slot corners to be physical. Tredavious White is here to play the outside, and honestly, he's probably got one of the better football IQs in the entire draft. This guy was valedictorian of his high school. Uh, he was valedictorian his senior year in high school. He's a smart guy, and he checks all the boxes for somebody like McDermott. Okay, so I, is is physicality the only negative thing you have to say about him? No, no. Okay, well, can I can I get one of mine out here? I would love to hear. One of the most glaring weaknesses of our roster heading into training camp was a distinct lack of speed at the linebacker position. So, with the top linebacker in the entire draft, entire draft sitting there, able to be taken by the Buffalo Bills. We drafted a cornerback. Okay, so you, you're you holding the candle for Reuben Foster, and I'm about to blow that candle out. <laughs> I'm about to blow that candle for Reuben Foster that you're carrying, okay? Because here, I understand the torch because I carried the torch for like a couple days, uh, you know, weeks leading into the draft. I understand the, the love for Reuben Foster. People look and say, well, he's a natural Will linebacker, right? He's got all the skills to play Will, which is where you're kind of thinking your linebacking need is, although obviously he played inside at Alabama, so you have actually no idea if he can play Will. But he's got all the talent to do it, right? So I love Ruben Foster on paper, but there is no way you could convince me that Sean McDermott goes, okay, Preston Brown, he played middle in college. Okay, that's fine. Reggie Ragland, oh, he played inside uh, He played inside Alabama, so that'll be fine. Oh, Ruben Foster, yeah, 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 let's slide him in. Yeah, oh, he played inside at Alabama, too. You cannot tell me that, you, that Sean McDermott looked at it and said, yeah, let's line up three inside linebackers as my three linebackers in a 4-3 scheme. No way. Inside linebackers are typically known for their leadership skills and lack of Lateral movement, which is what you fucking need. You need a Will linebacker who can cover somebody. That's why they're in the middle because these guys aren't typically great in coverage. I think but if this he- is the thing that Ruben Foster excels at. I've watched every game the kid played through his career. He could cover in space. He's covered slot receivers. He's covered everybody. I get that, but the the difference between Ruben Foster and Hassan Reddick is that Hassan Reddick. Played cornerback in high school. Hassan Reddick sucks. Hassan Reddick does suck Ooh. as a defensive end. He's a six foot one defensive end. Totally understand. Six foot one, two hundred and thirty five pounds. You are not a defensive end. Right, you are not. But at Temple, and, you have to be. But Reuben Foster is a legitimate weak side linebacker in the NFL, and I think with him being here on the board and us passing on him, I will chew the neck off this fucking bottle right here in front of me when he makes a Pro Bowl. And Tredavious White is just another good player. See, I totally disagree with you because the White pick makes a lot of sense for the Bills. You have, uh, you know, you look at the other side of the field. I think White makes a ton of sense here. And while I understand the love for Ruben Foster and the man crush that you have on Ruben Foster, believe me, I, I had it for a couple of days as well. I get why the pick was made. You take a look at the return of value, and here is a guy. Typically speaking. Inside linebackers are drafted 27th in the first round. 27th. So explain to me why the Bills passed twice on him. Right? That's what they did. They traded down and still passed on him. Because the need at cornerback was so much greater. And that's, that's just the fact. They passed twice on Reuben Foster. They had the chance, but inside linebackers are never drafted early. Unless you're Ryan Shazier or Luke Keekley, you're not going to the top 15. Okay, so let's get off the Reuben track. How about this? You talked about it, his lack of physical play. It's worth questioning why we didn't take a cornerback like Kevin King. 
Love he's, Kevin King. He's Love six Kevin foot King. three, two hundred and pounds. Physical versus the run, and jamming big receivers at the line. And his size alone makes him a effective and off coverage when he's sitting in the zone. Yep. Great. He's a great zone. Cover. Yeah, we didn't draft Kevin King. No. Nope. We drafted Tredavious White. Yep. Explain that to me. I love Kevin King. So this one's a hard one to justify because I wanted the Bills to take Thank Kevin you. King, but I thought 27 was with the talent still on the board. I was a little concerned about that because Kevin King rocketed up the board because Sidney Jones fell off the board, right? Sidney Jones drops off because of an injury. They both went to Washington. So, you know, Kevin King was my uh, was my cornerback crush when it came to the draft. I loved Kevin King. Uh, and this is back when they were talking about it being a fifth-round pick. I was like, oh, my God, this Kevin King kid, he's a, he's a gem. He's a diamond in the rough. Bill's got to get him. Big, tall, physical corner. Put him on the opposite side of Darby. And now you're locking down both sides of the field. Loved Kevin King. I get why Kevin King isn't the pick here, right? Because Kevin King, you're expecting to play zone. Tredavious White proves that he can, right? So you take a look at the difference between the conferences that they're in. Kevin King plays man all day long. LSU, and I'll quote Spencer German from the draft night, LSU is cornerback you, much like Ohio State. It's cornerback you. So the fact that you could go ahead and grab a Tredavious White and say, you know what, kid, you played zone 30% of the time. We're just going to exploit that. I'm fine with that because Tredavious White has great ball skills. So would I have loved Kevin King? Absolutely. But that's why he went with the first pick in the second round because the kid's a fine. He's a big, big, big corner. But I like the Tredavious White pick in a McDermott system better. I mean, I guess I can understand that, but... I guess the only other knock I have against him is we picked this guy over Ruben Foster. Oh, oh, get out of here! I will say that that the Tredavious White pick concerned me a little bit because I thought Kevin King is a better tackler, right? So McDermott said the best team on the field, the best secondary, is the best tackling secondary. And that's why I really had Kevin King over Tredavious White with where I thought the Bills had him ranked because Kevin King is just a better tackler than Tredavious White. Tredavious White reminds me a little bit of Champ Bailey, who is just a guest, right? He's Champ Bailey's not tackling anybody. He's just going to run <laughs> and wrap his arms around you and just kind of hold you gently until somebody else comes and makes the tackle. Tredavious White is a little bit in that mold. Kevin White is a, or Kevin King is a little bit of a better tackler, but from a coverage still skill standpoint, the Bills really did get a steal with Tre'Davious White. Okay, so now I want your final draft grade on this first round pick. Where do you grade it? A to D. Okay, are we considering the trade down as part of the grade? No, mutually exclusive. That's okay. another thing I hated. People view this player's value as, oh, well, we traded down and still got him. I don't care. It's the same thing with Sammy Watkins. Once you're on our team, I need to know what kind of a player you are. Otherwise, whatever I gave up in draft capital doesn't matter. It's gone. It's spent. It's, it's money that's out of my pocket. I no longer care about it. So now tell me, where do you grade this player? Okay, so I, I'm going to grade this. Now, not counting the benefit of the pick, right? I'm going to talk about the player that I think they were focusing in on 10 and the player that they picked at 27, right? I'm giving this a B plus, And the reason I give it a B plus is because I think Lattimore is just simply a better corner than Tredavious White. You had Lattimore if you wanted him. You had Reuben Foster, which would have been on overdraft according to the rest of the board, right? You had your pick of the litter because the way the top 10 worked out, it couldn't have worked out better for the Bills. 
they had their pick of the litter just as long as they weren't looking at a wide receiver. If wide receiver was off the board for them, they weren't hurt by any pick ahead of them, right? And they decided that they were going to gamble that there wasn't going to be a run on cornerbacks and to move down to 27. Lattimore was a better corner than Tredavious White. I give it a B plus because you could have had Lattimore, which is the Cadillac of this drafted cornerback. Chris, what do you got? What are you coming to me for? I give it a <laughs> I give it a B. We traded down. I wanted them to trade down. We got a corner. We needed a corner. We got a Deion Dawkins is like a versatile dude on the line. It's a B. You give it a B? I give it a C plus with the ability to become a B minus. Ooh. And here's why. If it is <laughs> In fact, determined after I go over, because I'm going to be just reviewing the hell out of this guy, that he can't actually tackle and play zone defense as effectively as he's going to need to in order to be a long-term effective starter for this defense, I'll feel more comfortable about it. But right now, what I'm looking at is a guy who looks like he needs to be in a man-press scheme, and he's not in it. This isn't the place for you. But but then again, you're talking about Marshawn Lattimore. I'm not going to hold that against him, because Marshawn Lattimore, you, you're talking about he, he's the Cadillac. He's the lemon that you go to the you go to the lot and you're like, oh, that Cadillac looks sweet, and you pay top dollar to put your ass in the seat, and then it breaks down about seven miles down the road. The guy has had multiple injuries over the course of his career. I'm not mad about the fact that Lattimore wasn't our pick. What I'm mad about is that this this was the depth of the draft was cornerback. I mean, this was cornerback and wide receiver were the two deepest positions in this entire draft. And instead of drafting to the strength of that, you know, picking later, finding cornerbacks in the third round or second round who could be starters, and having a guy who's a day one starter on your defense, day one starter, Reuben Foster, you passed over him at a position of need. I, I, I not, not just once, but twice. I see a flash in the fingers at me. They passed him twice. I'm sorry, but I just can't get behind that. I call this a C plus with the ability to be, be with the ability to eventually become a B minus. I have to ask, are you taking into account the Watkins draft where it was an incredibly deep wide receiver class? Does that play into the bitterness of you grading this C plus? My bitterness comes from the fact that I see the weaknesses of this team and I see us the strengths of a draft. And I spent all summer talking up the strength of the cornerback class. And then I watched us draft as if that didn't happen. It's almost as if their scouts didn't see what I saw. Which, who knows, maybe I'm the asshole because I love every draft the Bills have. I don't love every draft, but I've liked a lot of them, and it's blown up in my face, which is shit pick after shit pick. So, who knows, maybe this time I'm wrong. Maybe Tredavious White is the answer, and maybe the rest of this draft class pans out. But right now, I look at it and I say, you flew in the face of what is, I don't know, what was the strength of this draft? And that's where I have to leave it. Paul, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. I'm glad we had a chance to finally do this. Again, where can people find you guys on Twitter, and where can they find your writing? Uh, everything is uh, at hashtag sports on Twitter. Of course, we're on Facebook, hashtag sports. Uh, and uh, hashtag sports.net is where you can find uh, the articles. And, of course, you know we look very uh, we look very much forward to working with Rockpile Report on a little bit more of a consistent basis. Oh, yeah. No, you guys are a blast. And, you know, tell Mario to cut his man bun off. It's terrible. If he puts his hair in a man bun one more time. For those of you who don't know, Mario, he looks like Thor. 
You know, he's tall. He's he's muscular. He used to play quarterback in college. Like actual Thor, not but like actual Thor, not the comic book character, not Syndergaard. But he has a but he has a man bun. I'd like to cut that thing off his head. For the record, I did I did mention to him that he looks ridiculously like Alanis Morissette in current state, <laughs> and that just needs to stop. Guys, thank you so much for stopping by this week and downloading our podcast. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Paul from Hashtag Sports. And this has been your Rock Bow Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.